sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. California lawmakers suspicious of, of voter fraud may be getting their wish to have the DMV audited. Launched last year, the state agency's Motor Voter Program registered drivers to vote, but some state leaders claim thousands of errors were made. Government has gotten so big and invasive that it's really good for us to take a step back and say, is this the proper role of government? Or is it really better done and more effectively done by individuals outside of government? Start with the president's approval rating. 610 days now until Election Day 2020. You're keeping count at home, right? And a new set of numbers, an uptick in job approval in the latest NBC Wall Street Journal poll, and some decent numbers in key states. They came from all over. And what we did in 2016, the election, we call it, with a capital E, this has never, ever happened before and now we have to verify it in 2020 with an even bigger victory and now stacy washington welcome back to the program thank you so much for being here it is fantastic to join you yet again after our wonderful uh trip to cpac last week we just had such a good time, and I met so many great people. And I have to say, I, I missed out on some parties because, and when I say parties, it's you know just little gatherings at restaurants and things like that. I missed out on some of those because I was literally, I was that person. After I got done with the show, I spent some time going around. I, I went into the big room, into the media area, and kind of you know absorbed a little bit. And then I just wanted to eat dinner and go back to my room at the hotel. And so I had this opportunity, a couple of opportunities to go and just kind of, I went to the dinner the first night, um, but after doing the show, I don't know if it was the excitement or the hubbub, I had to, I, I, had, I had to go to, I had to go to my hotel room and chill out, do a little preparation for the next day, talk to my husband and the kids, and then just, you know, I, it was over for me. I just wasn't up to staying up late. And going and mingling and doing a whole lot of that. I felt like I'd met so many people during the day there that it was just, it was my time to chill. And so I didn't. And so I saw pictures of people who did go out and who did have a good time hanging out. And, I, and it was nice to see, but I just didn't feel like I missed anything. So yeah, I, I guess I've officially become one of those people. Hmm. So um, later on this hour, we're going to have Julia Seymour, Assistant Managing Editor for MRC Business, Media Research Center Business. She's going to come on and talk about the nets, you know, internet, everybody, media, whatever, refusing to report on the jobs boom that we're currently experiencing. And that was one of the things that I, I, I don't know if I effectively got it out when I was discussing um, some of the problems that Heath Mayo and his, his cohorts are having with, with uh, some of the president's actions. And that is, you know, for the tariffs to have been so devastating, um, which is what we were told, we're not seeing that in the markets. We're not seeing that in uh, the, you know, the, the number of jobs that are being created. Now, I know individual job creators are experiencing the tariffs differently. It depends on what industry they're in and how the tariffs are affecting them directly. But American steelmakers are happy to see the cheap steel that was previously dumped in our country with just basically no, no, no notification, just the cheapest steel they could find, dumping it at the lowest of cost, that that's not happening anymore. And the president's not getting any credit for that. So I, I'm fine with giving him his hits and his knocks when he needs them, but also how about let's give credit where credit is due. And I, I just, I'm concerned that when people say they want to talk about conservative principles, I do too. 
I think it's fantastic to talk about the things that make uh, the right side of the political aisle operative and, and the things that make it, um, you know, so, so many good policies come from the right. So many good ideas that actually lead to people having their lives radically changed. So many actions and philanthropic work that come from the right-sided political people. And I, I, I think that's fantastic. But I think, you know, one of the problems that the Republican Party has is that people are too busy sitting around talking about fantastic policies and looking at charts and graphs and wearing sweater vests. Um, and they're not busy fighting on issues where there should be no middle ground. There's no middle ground on infanticide. If you're trying to find a spot with which you can, you know, still be pro-choice and still, you know, hold the moral high ground, there isn't a place for you to do that. A place by which you can say, we need to legalize people who are in the country unlawfully while still railing against human trafficking and sexual slavery. No place. There's no, so you can say you're in a place, but you're not. You're over on the left with the other defenders of the drug cartels. That's who you, that's who you work for. You should have t-shirts and business cards and you should have a sticker on your car. Everywhere you go, it should say, I defend the drug cartels. I like opioids and heroin and fentanyl over overdoses. And I, I like babies and little girls and women sold into sexual slavery. I think human trafficking is awesome. I also think Sinaloa cartel is awesome. That's what your shirt should say. And if you don't like me saying that, that sounds like a personal problem to me. That's your problem, not mine. So, Speaking of someone who has a real problem with the truth, Bernie Sanders was on, he was on The Breakfast Club. So if you've never heard of this, it's a wildly popular morning show where they curse. I mean, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. They usually have, it's uh, this guy who calls himself Charlemagne the God, T-H-A-G-O-D. Um, and that's his nickname. And that's his radio, you know, moniker, his persona. And he's on there with a couple of other people and they call themselves the breakfast club. And so Bernie Sanders to have any credibility, he needs to go on the breakfast club and talk to them uh, about how his policies will help blacks in America. So he went on there and I thought it was pretty, uh, pretty slick the way Charlemagne kind of slipped it in you, and, and listen, when you're listening to the interview, catch that moment where Bernie Sanders realizes he didn't have anything good to say. And so he just, yum, 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 you know, he just marshmallow mouths it on through the rest of the interview. It's number two. Uh, I think if you look at my uh, record in terms of civil rights uh, and other areas, you will find that it is uh, consistently a very, very strong record. Any legislation we can point to? Well, legislation that... Uh, Benefits African Americans, yeah, we pass, but not specifically. You know, we passed legislation that benefits working people. Sure. If you had to pick a person of color to be your running mate, who would it be? Too early to say. Too early. <laughs> so too early. He was like, he was like, well, we've. Well, I, I was. He, he had. So what we didn't clip for you is right before that, Bernie Sanders was on his long tirade. And he actually puts his hand up to stop Charlemagne from asking him a follow up question, so he can go through all of his. Uh, you know, civil rights credentials because, you know, he, uh, remember that's not on the march on the Selma on the bridge? I was there. I was there. You know, he's so he's doing all that. And he's just, 
you know, mumble befumbling it all the way through about how he's been there for civil rights and he's done this and he's done that. And you know what? Good for you, Bernie Sanders. Good for you that you, you know, back in the day when some people didn't believe in civil rights and they were against the movement, you were, you know, forward thinking and you were in favor of it. Yay. You know, good for you. You get some golf claps and off you go. But now, you know, you've been in, in government for how long? You've been occupying that seat? And so when Charlemagne said, any legislation we can point to, that is the, that is the main problem. And you'll hear this a lot. If you listen to um, black radio or if you tune into some of the shows on YouTube where people who aren't necessarily calling themselves Democrats, but they are calling themselves independent and they're left-leaning, you know, economics, they're on the left, all, all that stuff. What they'll say is, they'll say that they haven't seen anything from the Democrats in quite a while. Like, stop talking about civil rights. That's old news. What have you done for me lately? These people are on YouTube saying that. And I've watched some of the shows, and I've been really fascinated to see how they point to economic policies that other communities in this country have received, whether it's legislation or executive orders that have been undertaken, specifically the ones that Barack Obama signed into law. And they'll say, you know what? It's funny is this group... They start talking about how they needed X, Y, and Z, and the Democrats gave it to them. The Democrats actually provided them with um, legislation to address their issue. But where is that same corresponding legislation for blacks? And, you know, and, and they often will say, I remember one episode I was watching where she said, and don't start talking to me about welfare policy because all black people want our welfare. And so we don't all need new welfare programs. What, what we need is policies that help with economic development in socioeconomically disadvantaged areas. Now, when I hear that, I hear someone who's ripe for one of those heritage afternoon tours where, you know, you're in D.C. already or you travel to D.C. And they'll have these speakers come in at the Heritage Foundation and they're there to talk about economic policy. And one of them who's really, really good on this one, who's been on the show before, but is at, really, he's just so hotly in demand right now and hard to get a hold of, is Hans von Spakovsky. And he does a lot on economic policy. And there are others that we've actually had on the show that we, we really enjoy. But Heritage will have these afternoons. It'll be a morning where they give you a box lunch. Sometimes it's morning and afternoon. And you get to go in. And you basically, once you've registered, you show up. And you're in the building that whole time. And they serve you a box lunch. And then you have more speakers in the afternoon. And you get to learn everything there is to learn about a new Heritage white paper that they've put out on an issue that they really want to see some movement on. Um, I mean, you name it, there's so many different topics that they cover. And I really feel like, you know, when, when I see one of these YouTube videos with, with these, they're smart people. So th these are not those nonsense videos, you know, where it's some meme Lord and they have all the, the vines for you. So you can just laugh mindlessly and, you know, just unplug. These are actual people that sat down, they've researched the issues. They've read a bunch of articles that they actually refer to and they're, they're asking the questions that the Democrats cannot answer. What policies specifically have you enacted? What legislation have you put forward that helps the black community, meaning the people who are dwelling in these certain regions of our cities in America? So this is not specifically referring to people who are black and are middle class or are upper class who live all over. They live downtown, they live in the suburbs, et cetera. It's talking about that unique swath of individuals who are striving to make it 
and they're looking for something like the economic opportunity zones, which if you think about it, maybe not today's Democrats, not the Democratic Party of Ocasio-Cortez and Ilhan Omar, the, you know, uh, oppression scarf wearer, not them. But back when Bill Clinton was president, you could see the Democrats coming up with economic opportunity zones as something that they could sign on to because they were really big into whatever worked because they were trying to win votes the, the more traditional way, as opposed to just browbeating people and telling them they're tokens and Uncle Tom's if they don't vote and then just waiting. Like, you just need to vote for us. Just We're just going to wait for you to come to your senses. We're not going to do anything for you. We're not going to enact anything for you. We're just going to tell you you're dumb and wait for you to wake up. So these people are not buying it anymore. Some of them are college educated. And what strikes me when I watch their videos is how they're asking these pointed questions, but they're not getting any answers. And they talk about Nancy Pelosi, Dianne Feinstein, you know, Harry Reid's retired, but he's risen up out of his crypt and he's now out spewing things about the president like we care. We don't care what Harry Reid thinks about President Trump, but they still have him up, you know, on, on life support talking smack. And we're supposed to be paying attention to that. And if we are flabbergasted and, you know, turned off by it and not wanting to watch and listen, Harry Reid, you should imagine some of these videos, I mean, they're, they're not safe for work, if you know what I mean, where these people are really taking the Democrats to task for decades and decades of allegiance from the black community and nothing to show for it. The war on poverty, and we still have poverty most rampant in inner cities where black people primarily dwell, at, you know, the largest segment of blacks, even in areas where blacks are moving into suburbs and doing well financially, the schools are still failing. And there's not a lot of um, economic viability out of, you know, a few chains outside of a few chains. So it, what does that mean? Well, Democrats have said in their WikiLeaks cables that policies don't work on the black community. That's not true. That is not true at all. Um, when we listen to the Laura Carno audio in the next segment, you're going to hear her talking about this one guy who started something called Camp Compass Academy. He just happens to be of the permanent tan and he did something amazing because he saw a need and he filled it. And it's that type of thing that if, if, if politicians period, because I don't see the Republican party really marketing to the black community in ways that are are consistent and viable that will yield voter turnover. I see some, I see patches, but I don't see enough. This is the kind of stuff that you have to see that and say that's something we can replicate on the ground, people to people, not legislatively, not through policy, and change hearts and minds that way. If, I mean, if you're talking about getting out the vote. All right, that's the music. We'll talk about that and Ocasio-Cortez's mom moving to Florida because she couldn't afford property taxes in New York City. How you like that? I'll be back. Every day in preborn centers across the country, young women in crisis find refuge. Here's Roxy, nurse director for preborn at the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Southern California. A lot of them come to us and they feel rejected, they feel alone, they're in a crisis situation, they don't know what to do, they don't know where to start. We believe that sharing the compassionate Love of Jesus Christ is what really makes what we do work. Through love and compassion, young women facing tough situations get to meet Jesus Christ and their unborn baby on ultrasound. And I got to hear and see my baby for the first time. Hearing the heartbeat made me cry. And it was certain that I was going to keep my baby forever. 
For $140, you can sponsor five ultrasounds, and you'll receive a story and a picture of babies' lives that were spared. To donate, dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 and say baby. Or go to preborn.com. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. You know, so often we hear that the vast majority of Muslims are peaceful. While that is certainly true, the claim doesn't go far enough. Many years ago, William Kilpatrick wrote about the vast majority myth. He countered this idea with three propositions. The first proposition is the vast majority of people are peaceful until they're not. It's easy to find examples of people who were peaceful for a long time and then quickly turned violent. The vast majority of Hutus were behaving peacefully before the genocide in Rwanda in 1994. By a year's end, the Hutu managed to kill 800,000 Tutsis using clubs and machetes. The vast majority of Europeans were behaving peacefully prior to World War I. All that changed in 1914 when the nations of the world went to war with each other. The second proposition is the reality that the vast majority of people will go along with the flow. The majority of the Hutus went along with the flow. This proposition is especially true in Islam. Most Muslims, especially in this country, would just like to be left alone. They want to go about their business of earning an income and raising a family. Kirkpatrick says that one of the built-in features of Islam is that you won't be left alone. It forces you to be good, and the way to be good is to conform to Sharia law. That is especially true in a country that not only has Sharia law, but also has established a caliphate. The third proposition is that a majority of people in any society are women and children. Although some Hutu women took part in the slaughter of Tutsis, it is true that the vast majority did not. That is little comfort to those who were slaughtered. Most jihadists and suicide bombers are men, and there are some women and children that participate. And while it is true that the vast majority aren't jihadists, that makes little difference in terms of the terrorist danger to me and you. I'm Kirby Anderson, and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play stores. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Frequently, you hear people say, well, this ought to get fixed. The government ought to fix this thing. And I take the opposite view, and I say, um, the government's just not set up to fix things, either big things or little things. And if there's something that we really care about, we wake up every morning saying, gosh, I wish, wish this thing was better, why would we turn it over to the government to fix? Um, they break just about everything they touch. When you take a look at the incentives that exist in government, um, they exist to get bigger. They identify a problem, we throw a lot of money at it. Um, because government can't fix things, it doesn't get better, and we determine that we just need more money. And what we need to look at is really break that down and say, why can't the government fix things? And I am also very hopeful and say, and here's why individuals, ordinary citizens acting outside of the government can fix things and do fix things. So that's Laura Carno, and she's a faster Colorado, but she's branched out and written this book in which she covers the four areas that the government really has no business operating in, um, that the, the solutions that come from the government in those areas actually make things worse, education, family, uh, and this is not born of some kind of animus towards government employees. I, I've told you many times I have family members who work for the federal government. They make a fantastic living. They're good at what they do. And I certainly think that what they do is important 
it's important work. So it's not that every government employee is not needed or that the work is not important. But we have far too many examples of Americans whose lives have been materially and substantially harmed by government intervention and policies for us to ignore that government, while it can be a force for good, has expanded to outside of what the founders intended when it comes to, you know, just just governing, just just people living. When we hear people talk about how they want to be left alone, a lot of people on the left hear, well, they just want to keep all their money to themselves. Well, yeah, of course we do. I mean, what world are you living in in which you're just sitting around on a street corner somewhere with all the money you have saying, here, would you come take some of this money? No one's doing that, liberals included. They may talk like they're doing that, but if you look at their philanthropic rates of giving, they're not doing that. Otherwise, the church in America would be the strongest force in the country. If every American who was a member of a church was tithing 10%, I mean, we'd have a radically different community in, in this country, wouldn't we? Everything would be different because the church would be the one providing uh, you know, help with student loans instead of it being a one-off and a really amazing occurrence to have a church raise $100,000 to pay off the, the balances of their students like we covered yesterday on the show. That would be a routine occurrence. People would go to church and say, you know, I, I need to be in membership here because if I ever fall on hard times, this is the place that I know helps people. The reputation of the church in America would be such that if you said, I know so-and-so has fallen on hard times, the first thing anyone would say with an earshot would say, oh, that church, they, they provide that kind of help. Or, you know what, she, what did you say? She has, her children are small. Actually, this church over here does that. But we don't have that kind of reach and impact because we have people going to church who don't give. And yes, of course, their politics is not the, the answer to that. That's a, a heart condition. But statistically, people on the right side of the political aisle give more philanthropically as a percentage of their income than people on the left. So the ones who most demand that you give up what you have are the ones who are least likely to give up what they have to help somebody else. They like the government to take it and redistribute it. So Laura Carno. In this interview, she said she covered a lot of different topics, but she specifically came back to this guy who he was working with kids and he saw some really tough stuff going on and he wanted to put a stop to it. He wanted to make a difference in their lives. And he started something called Camp Compass Academy. It's number five. So John Anoni in Allentown, Pennsylvania, he's a teacher and he doesn't feel like he's doing enough for some of the kids who turn to gangs because they don't have a, a complete family structure and um, doesn't feel like he's doing enough as a teacher. So he starts Camp Compass Academy and it's been 20 plus years um, in operation and it's an after school program. And long story short, they end up being able to take these kids hunting. Zero of the kids have gotten into trouble with guns and crime. And that's not the same as the kids who don't go to his his academy so you, you say okay can the government reduce um, gun violence in Allentown no it, it has no idea to do it but John Anoni wakes up every day saying I want to save kids so John can do it as you hear the simplicity of that and of course it's so easy to tell the story of how you know 20 years after he started doing it how he's been doing it for 20 years and what an impact it's made and you have to think back to when he first first started this idea and you know you have to think you know his his wife or you know whatever his 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 spouse he's thinking you know I have this idea and she had to have been like you want to what and who you know how are we going to pay for that and what 
and and or maybe she's one of those ones who she's all in. Her husband has an idea. She's all in. No matter the case, it couldn't have been easy to start. It's not like he just woke up one day. He had everything all organized. Everything was and and the recruitment mechanism was there. And he just said, I'm going to do this camp. And it just came together. He had to put it together. He had to work to create this environment by which he could make this change. Now, clearly, whatever it was that it took, he had it because he made it happen. And it's been going on for 20 years. And if you think about the ripple effect he's had on that community, how many people in that community who can look back on that camp and say, that's where my life began to change. That's when I began to understand what I was going to do with my life. That's when I began to understand I would never be a part of the gang that's in, in, that's in that town. How many people were rescued from that life of crime and degradation and eventual incarceration? Well, we can't really know. You can count the numbers of people who graduated, but you can't know what impact it had on others in their lives. And the eventual families that have come out of the kids who graduated from that camp, graduated from high school, and then went on to do well and start their own families. So people running around that maybe wouldn't have been running around because their parents would have been incarcerated and never would have met and, and you know made them. So it when she makes that point, I just think about this amazing, it's an amazing opportunity that we have if, if we have anything. So, you know, if you're, if you're in need of, if you're in need of being rescued, you know, there, there are organizations out there, but we need more of them. We need more organizations to rescue people. But if you're not in need of rescue and you have the ability to help so that others can be rescued, this is a huge, amazing opportunity to change people's lives for it's, it's a forever type of a change. When someone is snatched out of the jaws of the prison pipeline where they never get that first arrest in middle school and they, they stay in school and they, they graduate from middle school and go on to high school and graduate from high school, their life has been forever changed. They're, they're now on a trajectory where they can do more than they could, certainly if they didn't graduate from high school. Because in this country, Lacking a high school education really cuts you out of a huge segment of the job sector. You're really relegated to only being in the service industries. But if you graduate from high school, at any point you can decide to get more training, whether it's apprenticeship, um, you know, in the trades or going on to a technical school or going to school to, you know, cut hair, beautician license, what have you. Sky's the limit. You can go do any of those things. You can even join the military. You only need a high school diploma to join the military. So you have to have that very basic first step under your belt. And the poverty-ridden, crime-ridden situations like in Allentown, Pennsylvania, where John, uh, I'm sorry, John Anoni rescued these kids from where he's currently rescuing them from, it's really a matter of life or death that you don't get involved with the gangs. It's, it's just, you know, it's one or the other. So um, we have an opportunity to, to do some amazing things. And we may not be seeing that as an opportunity for ourselves. We all have problems. We all have stuff we have to deal with. But I just think it's amazing that he decided to do this camp and that it's had such a wonderful impact on the, the community that he's in. Um, and I encourage you, if you're listening and you're thinking, wow, that does sound interesting, you know. Maybe you're a John Anoni for your community. Who knows? But, but it could be you. So now let's talk about this illegal border crossings to hit 100,000 people this month after a surge from a caravan. So this is about the number of illegal immigrants crossing into the United States. This number rose sharply in January and February of this year 
And U.S. authorities are warning as many as 100,000 Central American migrants will likely breach the border in the month of March. This new report from the Washington Post sheds a stunning new light on the border crisis. Quote, the number of migrants taken into custody last year jumped 39 percent from February to March. And a similar increase this month would push levels to 100,000 detentions or more. Now, my question is, why are we why are we detaining 100,000? Why are we not just simply turning them right back around? Sounds like we need another executive order. (laughs) It's ridiculous. Why would we detain them? They're here illegally. Bye-bye. So uh, the president also signed an an additional executive order, I believe it was, expanding the remain in Mexico policy that he implemented, which basically says if you show up at the border and you file for asylum, you don't get to come into America and stay like they were doing before, catch and release. You have to go back to Mexico and wait there. Well, since he expanded that program, since he started it, they've seen a spike in people who are not, they're no longer seeking out a border patrol agent to turn themselves into. They're basically saying, well, that's not going to get me into the country and I want in. So now they're going around the legal points of entry. They're avoiding them altogether and just crossing into the country illegally. Some of them are being apprehended, of course. um, And the ones that are being apprehended, they're not even trying to pretend they're claiming asylum. They just want it into America. They just want to, they want to get in and they're trying to get in any way that they can. So arrests along the border did fall in recent years to their lowest levels in half a century, but they're now returning to levels not seen since the Bush administration. Driven by the record surge in the arrival of Central American families. Now, the revelation comes just weeks after President Trump declared his national emergency. And again, this story just proves that he was right. And I said we were going to talk about uh, yesterday how Um, Mitch McConnell says they now have the votes to override the president's national emergency. They're going to pass a bill similar to the one passed in the House saying that he can't do that. They don't have the votes, as far as I can tell, last I looked. They don't have the votes to... um, uh Uh-oh. As far as I can tell, they don't have the votes to make an override. And I just think it's shameful and pitiful to see the Uniparty come together again. Don't you? I posted the story on Facebook, by the way, if you want to look at it for yourself. The Uniparty of the Republicans is literally conglomerating together with the Democrats so that they can show the president that they don't want him, according to Rand Paul, making an end run around Congress and expanding the constitutional authority of the executive. Is that what he's doing? Is is it really his first choice? Did he not show over and over and over again that he didn't want to declare a national emergency? Did he not say over and over again that he wished that Congress would do their duty? Congress is just sitting around on their hands, pulling down those big paychecks while our border is being breached. And they don't seem aware. Like, Mitch McConnell, are you aware of the sex trafficking? Rand Paul, do you have any idea of what's going on at the border? Of course he does. Because he said over and over again, we need to seal the border. But... He'd rather vote with the Democrats to try to stop what the president's doing as opposed to getting around and saying, you know what? The reason he's doing this is because you guys won't give him the funding for the wall. So put up or shut up. I'm not voting with you on this unless you put some money up for the wall. That's what they should be saying. But oh no, there I go again acting like they behave like regular people. They're not regular people. They earn 178000 a year for basically doing nothing, missing tons of votes and flying all over the country raising money. They're not normal like us. They don't have the same thought processes that we have. And they don't know how to negotiate. Which is a shame. 
Like it is an absolute shame that they get paid that much money and they don't know how to negotiate. They couldn't negotiate their way out of a paper bag. I'm, I'll hold off saying the insulting things that I'm thinking about Rand Paul. I will just keep it to myself because he often is pleasing in his limited government ways. And since he's doing something I don't like, I will refrain from going any further, from going in on him. I will refrain. Uh, you should check out my Instagram account. I posted something on there uh, about this weather. So you guys know we got the snow. Um, and it was all day, like starting at midnight on Sunday, and it just kept on snowing pretty much all day. We only ended up with about three or four inches from what I can tell, but now it's bitterly cold. Cold like, I just keep asking, where's the global warming we were promised? We were promised the ice caps would melt and that New York's Manhattan would be underwater. And instead, we have bitter cold. And we have six months of winter. Have you guys noticed? We've had winter since November. Early November. Before Thanksgiving, we had the first snow here in Missouri. That's not normal. We normally don't get snow until January. And so that's December, January, February, and now it's March. I know I said six months, but it feels like six months. It looks like we're having four months. As everything's supposed to be kind of winding down and warming up, because the first day of spring is in March, it's either the 21st or the 23rd. And instead, we've just received another snowfall. And then we had all of those horrible tornadoes come down on Beauregard and other places like that, which I, I encourage you. Um, let us let us pray for the people who are, are impacted there. They had a, a number of people actually lose their lives, including a six-year-old. And be on the lookout for ways that we can help that community once um, they, they've kind of assessed the needs. We'll, we'll be able to kind of probably donate online or something like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's pretty, it's pretty interesting how this weather has cracked out and I just, I'm sorry I can't get over it because I'm just so flummoxed by how cold it is and how much snow we've had and how it's just hanging on. So it used to be in Missouri, we'd get some snow and, you know, three or four days later at the most five, the snow would be melting and, you know, we'd be kind of getting back to normal. It's just hanging on because it's that cold outside. Um, so yeah, that that's, it, it's not okay. It's not okay, people. So I want to give you a preview for, uh, who's coming on. So today, today, of course we had Heath Mayo up next. We have Julia Seymour, assistant managing editor, editor for MRC business. And, um, tomorrow we're going to be speaking with Steven Solomon, friend of the show. He'll be joining us. And then later in the week we have... A couple of different people uh, scheduled. There's some scheduling issues here. Um, looks like we're going to be talking to the president of AFP on Friday. That's going to be awesome. All right. Have a great break. We'll be right back. Have you noticed how your priorities change as you grow older? They are simple and silly as children. Most of us don't even want to admit what they were in college. As a young adult, they start becoming more serious, and then your priorities completely change when you have a family. As we reach the last quarter of life, we start thinking more about our mortality and what waits for us. The problem with that is none of us are guaranteed any amount of time. Don't wait until you think you need to get serious about God. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to offer you forgiveness and hope for eternity. 
Don't ignore that gift and wait any longer to invite Jesus Christ into your life. Call 888-NEED-HIM to learn how to have a personal relationship with Jesus and take care of the biggest priority in life. That number is 888-NEED-HIM. 888-NEED-HIM. Help her in her time of grief, Father. Thank you, Father. Give her strength, give her guidance, and help her realize that you are there with her. Intercession is a unique form of prayer. It's praying on behalf of another individual. Pastor Joseph Parker of the Hour of Intercession. Our prayer life is to not consist only of praying for ourselves and our own families, but we're to pray much for the needs of others and the world. Listen weekday afternoons at 1 Central here on Urban Family Talk. Bishop Vincent Matthews. Every one of my children have gone to college uh, that are in college on an wow. academic scholarship. And we taught them in our home. So reevaluate wherever you bought your hair or got it done <laughs> one day is going to be out of style. But your heritage is not just for what am I going to do today. It's for your children's 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 children. The Marriage, Family and Life Conference is coming June 20th through the 22nd. Learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Fox on Tech. Tech companies and their fans from all over the world in Barcelona for the Mobile World Congress. It's like a show and tell for grown-ups and everybody's talking about one thing. 5G. 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 5G network. It's the next incarnation of what you currently use to text, talk, and swipe right. This wireless technology is replacing the 4G service you've got now which will seem like dial-up. It also promises to be more widely available, and that's what makes 5G a game-changer, a not-so-distant future where almost anything is constantly connected. The industry predicts it will change the way we live, how we get coffee on the way to work, the way we listen to music, even how lives are saved. But there's a team from the State Department warning about a key player in 5G. That company, Huawei, is based in China and reports about the integrity of its products and employees is unsettling for Washington. I'm Ellison Barber, Fox News. You can download episodes of Stacy of the Right from the podcast page on AFR.net or UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Welcome back to the program. Thanks for being with us. Find out more at StaceyOnTheRight.com, at StaceyOnTheRight on Twitter and Instagram. Hit the subscribe button. You can also learn about our marriage and family conference at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. It's the last week of June. Uh, actually, the last, so it's like the 23rd, I think. Um, but you can find it at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. You can register there. It's ministry-wide. So we're going to have some fantastic speakers and guests. And just like last year, uh, I'll be there and we'll be able to say hello and uh, kind of enjoy the content together. Uh, still working on, I'm not sure if Miki and I are going to be doing the parenting panel that we did last year. I was hugely successful. Um, and if we are doing that, I will have um, more. So I just had a couple of books last time that I really enjoyed and recommended that I shared. This time I will have a basket so that more people can um, get a free book. And really, it's on me. I'm just sharing things that have helped um, in our parenting and marriage journey, which the, sometimes it's a book that can be a game changer. And so I'll be giving away a few of those at the conference if we have that panel. Right now, it's my pleasure to welcome Julia Seymour, Assistant Managing Editor for Media Research Center Business. Julia, thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Stacey. So I'm excited about speaking to you because um, I, I'm 
this, this is what I've got going on. I think we should give credit where it's due. When there was something that President Obama did that was good, I, it was kind of rare for me. But if I've stumbled across something, I would mention it, mainly because Absolutely. I tried to have some credibility there. You know, in my mind, if I just hated him with the hate of a thousand sons and was irrational about him, it would make people not trust my commentary on other things. So I, I tried to remain even keeled. I did not hate him. And I definitely could call out something positive that he was doing. And even some people would get mad at me for doing it, but I would still do it because I felt like mm -hmm. I, I owed that. And for President Trump, the jobs boom, it's like a silent victory for him. When they mention <clears throat> it, they give it 30 seconds and then, and they don't really talk about the impact it's having on people's lives. People's lives are being materially changed right now by the fact that they're gainfully employed and earning more money than they ever have before. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I watched jobs reporting like every single month and I've been doing it for years. I was watching it under Obama. I'm watching it under President Trump. And consistently what I find is that uh, particularly ABC, CBS, and NBC evening news shows do not want to give this administration credit uh, for a, a strong economy, a strengthening economy. They want to reach back and say, well, he inherited this. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was already doing better. You know, it, it, it's not his tax bill. Can't be that. Uh, <laughs> um, can't be deregulation. So, yeah, my, my most recent analysis, I looked at the last 15 months of um, those shows, uh, evening newscast coverage, on the days that the monthly unemployment uh, report came out. And what I found was that of those, uh, so 15 months, three networks, 45 broadcasts total, there was only one story giving Trump any credit at all for the, this piece of the economic puzzle and the jobs boom. Hmm. So why? Why is it so hard to just say... <laughs> Dude has made an environment in which jobs can flourish. And thank you to big business for taking advantage of the, the new environment that's created by the tax cuts and creating new jobs. I mean, what's wrong with just saying that this, this is happening and Americans are really loving it? Right. Um, well, you know, occasionally they do the Americans are loving this. You know, they, they find people who are, are now employed even before they finish their college degrees or, or stories like that. And I love seeing those stories. However, there is. There are also distinct policies involved here, and they would do, you know, even if they don't want to say it themselves, they could bring on economists to say it. You know, they could con consult economists on both sides and include that perspective, and yet they don't want to. Um, I think this just goes back to they're so opposed to so many things this administration and, and President Trump um, want to accomplish that they just don't want to give him any positive, positive um, stories to work with. And yet, you know, he's tweeting every great, every great jobs report. President Trump is on Twitter, and he's like, we got a great jobs report today. And sometimes they have to admit that he's talking about it, but they don't reinforce what he's saying um, hardly ever. Like I no, said, I... one story out of those 45. That's amazing. Coverage is, that, that, that's is kind of amazing. Crazy. I will. You know what, Julia? I, okay, so I'm going to also say, I think one of the reasons why they just can't give him credit on the jobs is because it's one of those fundamental bedrock type things. If you're unemployed, mm -hmm. everything in your life is really rough, right? 
you're not enjoying your kids. You're not enjoying anything you have that's good. You can't enjoy it because you don't have a job and everything's in jeopardy. And if you do have a job, um, it may be that that it's not the job that you want. But if you have one, at least you can enjoy the other parts of of your life that are that are that are going well. But if you're in an economy like this one now where there's seven and a half million openings in the STEM field and you maybe are in the STEM field or you just graduated, you know, for with a degree in some kind of STEM field, you're thinking this is not exactly like they told me when I went into STEM that I'd have great opportunities, but this is beyond. And a lot of families were, are experiencing the kind of growth in their in their economic picture that they just couldn't get under President Obama. And so it's a stark contrast. And I think it makes people wary of changing things. Like if the jobs mm-hmm. market stays the same, right? Why would you want to change who was in office right. and, and who was running Congress and the Senate? If everything could stay the same, you could keep working and earning money and going on vacation and, you know, buy that car, put your kid through school, whatever. You just want mm-hmm. things to stay the same. And that's not good for Democrats right now. Well, and, and going to that point, I mean, I think if you look, I looked back 15 months. Most of that time period preceded the midterm election. So that was definitely a time period in which they, you know, because the conservatives and Republicans were trying to run on the economy, um, you know, I think that could have had an influence on how they were covering or not covering the economy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like... You're running on it Mm. (laughs) and it's looking good. So we're just not going to talk about that. And we'll just let people kind of live it out. Because what I've noticed, and I know it's anecdotal, but it is supported Mm -hmm. by statistics on spending right now. People are buying new cars. People are buying an upgraded car. People are buying um, their houses. You know, they're they're buying a house. They're upgrading to a bigger house. Um, People are, instead of just renting a condo, some people are buying them. I mean, this this is a, a unique environment in that you are getting to take advantage of what is happening with the policies, regardless of you can be a hardcore liberal Democrat and you can still go out and buy a condo right now, upgrade your job, yeah. you know, go make more money, save more money, put a kid in private school that was in public school that you hated. And you don't have to tell anybody that you're enjoying yourself and that everything's going well for you. <laughs> you can just keep, you know, la- waxing poetic about Hillary Clinton, but take advantage of everything yeah. this president is giving you. And the media is kind of playing into that. Like, I see a lot of people out shopping. And that when they get in their car, they're driving a Prius and it has a Bernie Sanders sticker on it, but they're loading like yeah. just gobs of big fat overstuffed bags into their trunk. And I'm like, so you're shopping and you're living large, but you're driving that Prius with the Bernie sticker on it. You don't even understand what's happening to you right now. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, you know, and I think what, what it amazes me is that I, I also went up, I looked at the number of jobs uh, added to each month and added them up since that November 2017 start. Um, of the the month I started with, for this, more than three million jobs were added in that time frame. Um, and the craziest part about that was that the Wall Street Journal was talking to economists January of 2018, who said we're at or near full employment in this country. So they didn't expect there to be that much room to add more jobs, and yet you keep adding them, and there are more, you know more uh, people are more willing to quit their jobs to go get a better job. Um, There are, uh, you know, stories about um, how, sorry, I just completely lost my train of thought there. Mm. Uh, 
<laughs> I know it, I know how um, you're feeling because it's so cold I can barely get so through a whole thought. Great news for job seekers in this country, and it frustrates me watching month after month to see how little the evening shows care about this because they still have millions of viewers. Well, they do, but I, so I just I have to think at some point, Julia, that. So you're not hearing about it. You're not hearing about the jobs and maybe you're not, it's not registering for you, but it has to be a phenomenon. Yeah. You're living it and it's in your community. And maybe it's not so much that you're, because a lot of people were already in stable employment. So there's not a huge difference for them. If they're not looking for a new job, it's maybe not a big deal, but maybe Mm -hmm. it's a family member who's been perennially unemployed or was really hit hard and hasn't fully bounced back. And now they've finally gotten that new job. Do you think there's a way that it can be connecting with people and it's just a reality check where they don't need to hear it on the news, but they know something's different and they kind of attribute it to the tax cut, which has been really vilified, but has done so many amazing things and they need to do more, actually? I I think it's entirely possible that that real people on the ground in their lives are feeling these things and, and interpreting them for themselves and they're not relying on the media, but... It's my job to point out that the media are failing on this. They are continually um, letting their bias get in the way of them covering economic news under this administration. And I'm going to continue to do that <laughs> until they shape up. <laughs> I'm glad you're doing it. And, and we need you to do it. I think um, I just wish we could break in. You know how, mm-hmm. you know, back in the day, they, if there was no national emergency, they would break in. And they'd be on for like a minute or two to talk about it, and then they'd break back out. Mm-hmm. And I wish we could have like a l- little break-ins in the liberal broadcast where you just have someone come <laughs> in. It was just the camera would just pan to you, Julia, and you'd go, out of the last, you know, 15 months, and you would just share, you know, it'd be like <laughs> 60 seconds. And then it would pan back to them. And they would be mad, yeah. but there'd be nothing they could do about it. And it would, you could do that like <laughs> once an hour. You could break in. Because, I mean, there's so many good people who come on the show who have facts yeah. and information that they could share in a 60-second format. Just break in, share it, go back out. Yeah. It's needed. People need to know yeah. this. Yeah, they do. And, you know, the, the networks have no excuse here. Um other media outlets have been giving Trump credit, even if they do it begrudgingly. <laughs> and then, you know, more more uh, outlets that are more favorable or, 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 you know, don't dislike the administration so much um, actually run editorials and op-eds from people who, who are, you know, economists and CEOs who say, yes, he deserves a lot of the credit for this. It is the policies of deregulation lower tax cuts, particularly lower corporate tax rates, mm-hmm. uh, that have helped keep growing jobs in this country and growing the economy faster than it was growing before. Well, I think someone who often will tell what they really think, besides Joy Behar, who regularly outs herself and says the, the most crazy things, but it's what they believe, is Bill Maher. And about a year ago, I think it was, he said, uh, the economy is really booming right now, and I can't stand it because what we really need if we want to mm-hmm. win the midterms is a recession. <laughs> That's what he yep. said. He's like, we need yep, a recession. We wrote about it. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And so that was kind of amazing to me because he just brazenly ripped off the mask for a couple seconds yeah. and said, look at this. I, re- I want you to fail in order for us to win. And I'm glad it's not working, but it's definitely that that's where they're coming from. Thank God we have you at Media Research Center. The work that you do there at Newsbusters and, and the, your whole family of co- companies there 
it's the only way we have some way of measuring how often the truth is going out. And I'm, I'm hoping that we'll see more of it. But thank you for what you do at uh, Media Research Center, Julia. Thank you for having me on to share this with, with people so that they become more aware of, of uh, the problem of media bias in, in this country. Mm, fantastic. Julia Seymour, Assistant Managing Editor for MRC Business. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. All right. Talk to you again soon. Um, I want to close out the show with this little bit of audio. It's like a good news piece, and I love sharing good news with you. And this one is a KOAA NBC5 news report on a gun sanctuary county. And it's just a really quick news item, but this is good news that we can share about how this county is taking the sanctuary city concept, which we all hate, and turning it into something that we can get behind because we love the Second Amendment. It's number six. Resolution 12 declares Fremont County to be a Second Amendment sanctuary county. The decree says the sheriff can use his discretion to not enforce any unconstitutional firearms laws. Commissioner Dwayne McFall says the use of the term sanctuary is intentional. If the illegal immigrant is, is safe in a sanctuary city, then a Second Amendment gun owner would be safe in a sanctuary county to exercise his right to bear arms. The sheriff told us he doesn't personally believe Colorado's red flag bill is constitutional. If you read in the strictest definition of the Second Amendment, it says that the right to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. That's pretty specific language. But he also doubts the county resolution gives him legal protection to not enforce the bill if it becomes law. It's really symbolic more than anything else. Uh, to let the citizens of the county know where their governing body stands. Commissioner McFall says the red flag bill ignores due process protections in the 5th and 14th amendments. He points out that current state law allows for 72-hour mental health holds for people who are in crisis. He doesn't think the state should violate civil rights through statute. Making a statement to the legislature that they need to listen to the entire state of Colorado and not just the metro areas. Mm. Wow. I like it. <laughs> I like it a lot. Uh, it's largely a symbolic gesture, but I still think it's awesome to see them pushing back in this way. God bless you from the heartland. Until tomorrow, StacyOnTheRight.com. God bless.